Rose Sweatman, Dr. Rose Sweatman. Um, as I mentioned, we are part of a network of churches uh, called The Vineyard that has been around since the, the 1970s. And there are hundreds of churches in the United States and thousands across the world. And we are part of a region called the Northwest Region uh, that is really massive, if you've heard for a while. And uh, our church now is kind of helping to, to serve and bless the Northwest Region. But before I took that role, uh, Rose was the Northwest Regional Leader for 10 years, correct? Mm -hmm. And uh, just finally transitioned out this year. And life praise is nice now, praise right? Yeah, praise God. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Rose uh, teaches at the Seattle School. Um, and uh, we're just so honored that you're here to, to be with us. So Thank you. Yeah, Thank you for do whatever me. you want. OK, here, here we go. It. You should not say that to me, by the way, because um, <laughs> I will. <laughs> Um, it's so great to be here. I, Rich and I always love coming to this church, and we have a long history with Lane and Steve and their girls at our church, and then with Marshall, and so now we're at their church. We're at Jessica's church. She's our pastor, so that's, that's pretty fun. Um, so it's great to be here. So why don't we start by praying, okay? Creator, Son, and Holy Spirit, you, thank you, thank you for your faithfulness to us. What is going on in our lives, in our families, in our towns, in our world? You are faithful. Thank you that you created everything, that you sustain everything, and that you are about redeeming everything that was lost. We come today and we worship you, and I pray for these next few minutes as we look at honoring our bodies, sacred rhythms, that, Lord, you would give words of life, that you would anoint my mind, only give words of life. And so we give you thanks, and we bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Worship was wonderful. Last night, we got here in time for the worship night, and it was very sweet, and... Um, Actually, the Lord really touched me because I was in a lot of pain when we got here. I could barely turn my neck this way or that way, which, is, yeah, we'll get into that maybe later. But um, during the worship time, I just asked Rich, I said, you got to pray for my neck. I can barely move. And he did. And I mean, I woke up this morning and I'm out of pain. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so we're going to talk about sacred rhythms. You guys are in a series. And Marshall asked me if I would take on honoring our bodies. Uh, which is one of my favorite things to talk about, really, because many of you know, and some of you don't, that in 2016, I almost lost my life to heart failure. And so what I'm just going to tell you quickly, that story, I'd been working hard. I was in a, uh, I'd, I'd done a doctoral program. We'd been pastoring a church. We launched a nonprofit out of our church that I led that. And so I'd been working really hard. Um, and then all of a sudden in 20 some conflict arised in our church that just went, the, the train left the tracks and there was no pulling it back. As much as we tried to resolve it, it just kept getting worse. It took a toll on my health. I was working long hours. I was not getting enough sleep. I was obsessing at night about how to resolve this conflict. I started not eating right because when you're under stress, you're, and we're going to talk a little bit. Can I, can I just time out? 
This is going to be a super practical sermon. I, we're going to talk about our bodies in the most practical way. So um, I wasn't eating well. I wasn't sleeping well. You know, all of the stuff that your brain kicks in to do when your, your body is under stress to try to cope. And a lot of it is maladaptive coping. It's not great coping mechanisms that we do. So I felt like a car running on low on low fuel, and I knew that my body needed care and attention, but I didn't know how to honor it in that season. I began to have daily panic attacks because my nervous system was on constant high alert. I was, everything seemed traumatic to me because things were coming at us day and night that we were trying to resolve. So as I was having panic attacks, my internal being, it felt under threat and my body began to pay the price. So basically how my body paid the price was every time I was having a panic attack, my heart, and I'm gonna show you screen in a few minutes, what happens to your heart when you're under stress. I was having arrhythmias. My heart was having like little, literally minor heart attacks under the stress of it. That went on for nine months and I didn't realize it until I ended up in complete congestive heart failure. The toll that stress on my heart, and when you're under that kind of threat, a lot of hormones get released in your body to try to help you. And so a lot of cortisol and the different hormones that were being released in my body were, were not helping. They were making it worse until it just wiped out my heart. So by the time I landed in the hospital, I ended up with half of my heart muscle completely deteriorated. It was like I'd had a massive heart attack and it wiped out the upper left and lower chamber of my heart. All my um, valves were leaking terribly. And so I'm in the hospital for eight days and they're trying to happen to me because it happened so suddenly. I mean, one year prior, I'd had a complete physical, and they were comparing the pictures of my heart to what it was, and they were like, what happened to you? Your heart looks like the heart people are in the very last stages of alcoholism. So it was bad. And so basically, I have an implant. I have a titanium box in my chest with three wires. Two of them are pacemakers, and one's a defibrillator. My heart beat because my left side is gone. Is this coming in and out? Should I do something different? Okay, let's do that. Excuse me while I just do this. And I want to give you that. Thank you. Yeah, no, no worries. So my defibrillator is there for two reasons. One, it keeps my heart beating in rhythm because that's what what your heart needs. Do all of you know that your heart has a couple of different, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I have two cardiologists. One cardiologist they call the plumber. He's in charge of like the heart muscle and my valves. And my other cardiologist is my electrician because our hearts have electrical pulses that cause them to beat and stay in rhythm. So that's what the implant does. It makes my heart beat and the defibrillator keeps it beating in rhythm. And if I did have cardiac arrest, I have a built-in defibrillator to wake me up. So that's a good thing. So often, I, my cardiologist used to often say to Rich when we would go in after my heart failure, my um, uh, EF rate, my eject, uh, ejection rate of my heart 
pumping the blood. By the time I was in the hospital, it was 10%, which the, they all said, we don't even know how you're alive. I'd just literally flown home from Thailand, a 36-hour trip. In that condition, I could barely breathe. And they told me I was 48 hours away from drowning in my own fluids because my whole chest was full of fluids. So they had to drain all the fluids, take me in, and do all this stuff. But afterwards, when I would go in every two months and have an echocardiogram so that they could measure how if I was improving or not, because at any point, if I started to go backwards, the only thing they could do for me was put me on a heart transplant list. So they were watching me very carefully the first two years. So all of that to say, every time we went in and had a test, I was getting better. So I went from 25%, then the next time it was 35%, and then I stayed there for a little while. And if any of you know anything about how your heart works, and we're gonna talk a little bit about that, like when your heart is only at 10, 25, 35%, you have zero energy. You're not getting enough oxygen to your brain. Like, I mean, it was crazy. But every time I was getting better, and then we would ask the cardiologist different questions like, well, can she do this? Can she do that? Rich was very concerned because I wasn't supposed to put any stress on my heart. And at one point, the cardiologist said to us, you guys need to be quit being so afraid of dying that you stop living, which was like, whoa, okay. And he said to Rich, and you don't really have to worry. She has a built-in defibrillator. Like, if she goes into cardiac arrest, she's okay. You are the one we have to worry about. So... <laughs> So that's just sort of a, a, an intro into talking about honoring our bodies. I want to talk a little bit, um, just to read some text. Genesis 1.31 says, God saw everything that he had made, and it indeed was very good. God, if you read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you read through the whole, the two creation stories, God at the end of everything he did would say, and it is good. And it is very good when he created humans in his own image, like our bodies. The Lord breathed in his breath and Adam came alive. Humankind came alive through the breath of God. So we know that God said everything that he had made, including our bodies, and said, it is very good. Psalm 139, 13 through 14 says, for it was you who formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. I think that is so beautiful, talking about our bodies, how God created us. By the way, that word fearfully comes from uh, the root word that means awe, respect, reverent respect and honor. It could very well be translated I, I am reverently made. I am awesomely made. Like, it, it's beautiful. Like, God calls it so good. And that wonderfully word comes from a, a Hebrew meaning, striking, remarkable, outside the power of human comprehension. And that's why the, the psalmist says, I, I know this well. Wonderful are your works, including my body, including my body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price? Therefore, 
Glorify God in your body. We're to be stewards of these bodies. They're good. They're holy. They're sacred. And the Lord said, you weren't, your body was bought with a price. You need to honor your body. And then we come to John 1.14 from the message. And this, I just think, is beautiful. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. How about we sang those words like Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, Jesus, the Lord and Savior of all. That God, that God took on a human body. That's how much we know our bodies are sacred because God could have come in any way God wanted to come. God is like the ruler of heaven and earth, the cosmos. I mean, do you guys even watch, like, I'm so fascinated by the web satellite pictures into deep space. Like, it fascinates me because it, it makes me just, again, just be in awe of the creator. And so this creator that, that created galaxy after galaxy after galaxy took on a human body in order to redeem us. God could have done it any way God wanted, but God took on a human body. So let's talk about what our bodies need. Our bodies are incredibly valuable to God and to us. No, we're not going to talk about that. Sorry. Um, they're the temple of the Holy Spirit, created in God's image and meant to be respected and cared for. So we need to remember this when we make decisions about how we care for our bodies, how we treat ourselves. I'm telling you, I work with so many young people at the seminary that I teach at that have so much contempt. They grew up in the church and they have so much contempt for themselves because honestly, the church has been silent about caring for our bodies, but then we go out into the world and it People are obsessed with their bodies. Like, there has to be this in-between place. So our bodies are a beautiful part of what it means to be created in the image of God. Our bodies allow us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Our bodies feel the sun and on, our, on our skin and the sand between our toes. Our bodies nurse babies and cry with friends. Bodies that emerge from the waters of baptism and feast on the bread of communion are beautiful and they are good. In fact, in Genesis, God said they are very good. Too often, we either don't pay attention to our bodies or we become obsessed with them. The diet industry in the Western world is a multi billion dollar endeavor that depends on convincing people that they are not good enough. Christians are taught that they bear the image of God, and yet we often look at our bodies with disdain. Many times we look at our bodies and we hate them. Rather than attaching morality to sort of Western world beauty standards, to health measures, we should celebrate that adding nutrition to our diet, being proud of increasing movement, stamina, all of which we can do to be healthy regardless of our weight. There are people that can, we could look at them and say, oh, they're really overweight. I, I, I have a sister, I hope she's not watching this because I didn't ask her for her permission, but I don't think she would watch this. So I'll just tell, and if she does, it'll be okay because she really loves me. <laughs> Carla, if you're watching. Okay, so anyway, my sister 
I mean, I'm going to just be really honest with you. I hardly ever exercise because I hate exercising. Like, I try to move my bodies, but I do not do exercise regimes, and that's, I just don't. I never have my whole life. My sister, on the other hand, that girl, like, she has a gym in her house. She goes to a personal trainer. Like, she did CrossFit. She did it all, all of it. She can never lose weight. But, man, is she the strongest person? I mean, that woman is muscle-bound, and she's like, she goes, I hate you. You don't do anything, and you can lose weight. I, like, work out every single day, and I can't lose weight. And she's gone through all the stuff. But the point is, it doesn't matter what your weight is. What matters is, are you healthy? Are you eating nutritionally? Do you move your body enough? Like, I move my body enough, I think. I think, um, we'll see, but I think I do. Um, but I'm never gonna be like the, at the gym pressing weights. Like that is just so not me. I mean, I was barely coordinated in high school to like play volleyball, let alone Rich is shaking his head. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I could tell you a story about our church softball team, but I'll, I won't. But I'll tell you quickly. <laughs> For a while, we had a church softball team, and so they made me the catcher because I'm super uncoordinated, and Rich was the pitcher on our team, but this was me as the catcher. I'd be down like this. Rich would pitch the ball, and it would be coming at me, and I would move out of the way, and the umpire would have to catch it, and then he would throw it back to Rich because I wasn't strong enough to throw it back to him, so anyway, I got in a lot of, lot of jokes about me. So our bodies are important. And so my next point is that we have to practice self-care. It's a way of honoring ourselves, focusing on our physical, mental, and spiritual health. It can look different for everyone. Like I just said, my sister exercises and she loves it and she builds muscle. But for me, that's not the way I take care of my body working out that dramatically. So it looks different for everyone, and we should not be judging other people by their looks and what they do or not do. But it looks like making sure you're getting enough sleep, eating healthy foods, moving your body, and taking time for yourself. Hey, have you guys ever watched the video on YouTube called Blue Zones? Have any of you seen that? There's a video, it's kind of old. Who raised their hand back there? Yes, yes. So you might want to look it up. It's called Blue Zones on, you just Google it, and the videos will come up, and it's where they have found these different places in the world, different spots where people live a healthy life beyond being 100. And what it came down to was, like, one of them is Sardinia, Italy, which I really care about because I'm half Italian. And it's like, the reason that it, all of them had in common, they had community, they were in a, in a tight community, whether it was family, the village people, whatever. They ate, like grew their own food, they ate bread, they, they didn't eat processed meat and cheeses and stuff, but everything was healthy. And they moved their bodies, not by going to a gym, but by walking and doing gardening, by walking up hills, by like, they just would move their bodies. And what they found is those elements created a healthy environment that they call blue zones. You should look at it. There's one in Southern California too. But it also looks like setting boundaries and taking breaks from work or other commitments when needed. I tell you right now, and the church is not exempt from this, people get on a, on a, like a hamster wheel and you get going and you get going and you get going and everything becomes urgent and we have to do this and we have to answer that email, we have to plan this thing. 
and we forget to rest our bodies. And even when we try to rest, our minds are going. And so we're not really getting rest. So it's so important that we take breaks. Sabbath is so important, where you literally get in the exercise of saying, on this day, even though my work is not done, it is done. And then you enjoy God's good creation. You enjoy, like we are hardwired for connection and pleasure. And so during Sabbath, we want to take advantage of that. We want to connect with people that we love that doesn't take work to be with. We want to enjoy God's good creation. And, and, and the pleasure centers of our brain are getting met. Okay, what our bodies need. Our bodies need water, food, oxygen, and a functioning nervous system. You just read any medical thing to tell you what does a body need, and these are the primary things that a body needs. Now, sleep, depending on your age, for adults, a minimum of seven hours per night, your need. And I know that people go, oh yeah, I only sleep like five hours a night, or I can get by with this. Well, you might be getting by with that, but it is not good for your brain because our brains, this is how beautiful God made our bodies. Our brains are amazing. I mean, I can't even get into like all the stuff our brains do, how they heal us, how they speak to every organ in our system. They send messages to everything in our bodies. But what our sleep does is reset our brains. And what researchers have found is you need two nights of sleep, seven to nine hours. The first night, it, our brains are like, it's like a washing machine. The first night, it washes your brain. The second night, it's like the rinse cycle and resets your brain. So people that just keep skimping, skipping, or if you have sleep deprivation, it will take its toll on your body. We need sleep. Let's talk about stress, anxiety, and worry. Stress, anxiety, and worry are the things that we feel in our bodies, that start happening in our bodies when we're under stress. So when we get stressed, a lot of times how it shows up is in conflict. If I feel stressed out, I get a really short fuse. And Rich could just say, hey, 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 hey. Rich could just say, blah, 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 and I'm just, bah! Like on him, right? And he's like, oh, wow, what was that? Because a lot of times when we're under stress, all of us react in different ways. Some of us do conflict. It's like we bite at somebody, we, we fight, we start an argument. Or other people, what they do when they feel stress is they, they go away, they distance, leave the conversation, shut down, might even leave the room, not come back. Um, or people get stressed out, especially in work situations and family situations, what one effect would be you overfunction. All of a sudden, I gotta make it better for everybody. Like this isn't going well, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it better for everyone. You start doing everything and you're, get, you're wearing yourself out. Other people, what they do, underfunction. They're like, yeah, I'm not doing any of it, I'm out. <laughs> so, um, or another way that we respond to stress, worry, and anxiety in our bodies is we do projection, triangles, and blame. So many of you probably heard the word used um, that really triggered me. Like that's a big word right now, right? Really what that means is there's a part of our brain called the amygdala, and I'm gonna show you the brain in a minute, not right now, but the back of our brain, and it's on both sides, left side, and, and it's just a little, little part of our brain called the amygdala, but you know what it does? It stores every single memory 
that has ever happened in our whole life. It's stored back there. It's like a recording that's there, but it's under the surface. We're not conscious of all those memories. But what will happen is you could have had um, your dad spank you really hard when you were a little kid and he raised his voice. And when you were little, that felt like an eight foot giant yelling at you and spanking you. So as an adult, if somebody, you're in a situation where it feels threatening, like especially like me, I'm kind of a small woman. If a man got in my face and like was being kind of and that's happened, like right away I get triggered and I, I, I start conflict, like me, my, my response is to fight. Um, and so, but what happens is my amygdala triggered a, a, a threat, but it's not a conscious threat, so I don't even know what I'm reacting to, right? But this can happen over and over again where we will overreact to something. It can be immediate. It can be conflict and an overreaction to an event or distance from something that you just feel like, this is too threatening, I'm out, and you cannot stay at the table. So all of that to say, when our brains are so wired, and, and some people call this our ancient brain, the back of our head, like it's a small one, but as humanity grew, I'll use the word evolved, I hope that doesn't... Um, stress anybody out, but that's really what happened. If that triggers you, I'm sorry. Um, because that small part of our brain back in the ancient of days, when lions would chase you and wild beasts, that part of the brain is what would say, threat, threat, you got to run. And it would push all your blood to your legs so you could get out of dodge and get to safety. Well, we don't really have lions chasing us anymore. So we don't really need that part of our brain as much. And so, but it still goes off and it will, it will send sensations to us. So the brain, let's just look at that really quick. I don't know if you can see on the screen, but just, just really quickly, um, that part of the brain, you can't really see it, but back in the back, the limbic system, which houses our amygdala, it has everything that's ever happened to you in your whole life. So there could be current events that you are responding to, like overreacting, and somebody might be going, like, why are you reacting so heavy to this? Like, it doesn't warrant this type of reaction. It's because that part of your brain is activated, sending a message to your body saying, you're under threat right now, so you better do something. That's all we need to say about the brain right now. So one of the ways that I wanna talk about this today is how our brain to body works. Because I think this is so fascinating in light of the scriptures and how God wired us. So brain to body. We do a lot of self-talk, brain to body. I am statements. And we have to be aware of distortions. It's, it's like um, research shows us that when we activate this state on a physiological systems functions more effectively, we experience greater emotional stability and we have increased mental clarity, improved function. Simply stated, our body and brain work better together and we feel better when they're in coherence, when they're not under threat. So, I am statements. I just want you guys to take a moment and just, just kind of maybe even close your eyes and think about your own I am statements. What do you say to yourself when you look in the mirror? What goes through your mind? What do you say to yourself when you make a mistake? God, I'm stupid. Why did I do that again? Will I never learn? 
I am so overweight, or I don't like the, my skin right now, my hair is this, whatever. What are the I am statements? And they are so subtle, and we say them over and over and over again. So I'm just gonna be quiet for a second and let you think, what are the I am statements that most come up for you? One of the ways that we begin to see our, our brains can heal. Our brains, the way that God created them is if we understand what's going on, they literally can heal. So I am statements are really important in this whole area of healing our brains and the way that we respond and react to things. Now, when something happens, we can either respond which is, and we might even be angry, like depending on what the situation is, or our emotions go, can go from zero to 100 in a second and we're reacting. And a lot of times when we're in that state and we react, we, we tend to regret what we did in that moment. <laughs> a lot of times we said, we're kind of out of our mind right now. I, I've done that so many times where I've reacted versus responding and then I would say to Rich, my gosh, for a moment I lost my mind. It's like a, this all just came out of me. So I am statements are so important. So we have to start paying attention to them and we have to retrain our brains. Using your name in place of an I am statement tends to cause you to be more self-supportive, gaining distance from the negativity. So I can say things like, you know what, Rose? You didn't do that right, but next time you're gonna do better rather than, why are you so stupid and you do that every effing time? Every, sorry, that was an I am statement that came out. Okay, so, but do you see what I'm trying to say? Like our internal language is actually very important because we can heal our brains by doing the opposite and catching ourselves. But half the time we're not even conscious of it. So instead of beating ourselves up, instead of having self-contempt for this being that the Lord loves and created and said it is very good, what we do is we stop and go, okay, that was negative. How can I turn this into something that is honoring to my body and to my being. Hey Rose, you've gained a lot of weight. During COVID, you guys, I gained 30 pounds. I'm only five feet tall and I have a heart condition. I only have half a heart. So it wasn't about vanity. It was more about, I'm afraid the toll that this will take on my heart carrying this extra 30 pounds is not okay. Like I literally felt, and so I would, I think for like the nine months of COVID as I was eating Okay, we're under stress. We're in lockdown. We don't know what's happening in the world. We're, we're like washing our groceries when we, remember? <laughs> remember, we're in hazmat suits going to the store. Maybe some of you weren't, but some of us were. We were afraid. We were under stress. It was like collective anxiety. People are calling what we've just lived through the age of anxiety. So collectively as a society, we're all under stress. And so it's, it's, what did we do, <laughs> Rich and I? We ate Snicker bars, we ate Oreo cookies, we ate potato chips, I made pasta every other night, like all the stuff that when you're under stress, your brain starts to crave until I realized this is not okay. And so for nine months, I had to like really train my brain to say, you are overweight and this is really bad for your health. 
so you can do better. You can make better choices. Like I had to start self-talking. By the way, when I first came home from the hospital, people would come and pray for me, and they would say, put your hand on your heart and speak to your heart. Tell your heart you're sorry for what happened to it. And I thought, this is weird. Like, we're charismatic, but this is kind of weird, right? But it worked. Like, I found myself every morning putting my hand on my heart and saying, God, I thank you for this heart. And I'm sorry that I didn't take care of it better. So help me now to take care of it. So I don't go to a negative place, like, in contempt that I didn't take care of myself. I acknowledge it. I ask the Lord's grace to come and bring healing and help me do better. And that's what the Lord requires of us, right? God is not this mean old man in the sky that's just ready to, like, rake us with a a sledgehammer when when we break shalom. Like, in Genesis 1 and 2, everything that God said was good, everything that God said was very good, Right now, when I, when I violate those things that God said was very good, whether it's his creation, whether it's another human being, whether it's my relationship to God and I'm breaking shalom, what I do is I get negative, I have self-contempt, and what God is saying, wait a minute, don't do that. Didn't you see what I did with the first humans? I like literally covered them. I covered them. I made them leave the garden for their own safety, not because I was being mean. I made them leave for their own safety. So why would you hate yourself? Why would you say what I say is good is not good? So that's why we begin to retrain even our I am statements, the way that we think about ourselves. It's not okay for us to have self-contempt. And I don't mean that in a way to put guilt on anyone. I mean it in a way to encourage you to believe that God created you. You are an image bearer of the most high and he loves you. And so he doesn't want you to say what he created good is bad. So we can retrain our brains. By the way, when I came home from the hospital, I had such cognitive deficit from my low heart function. I couldn't read, and I'm an avid reader. I couldn't read. I couldn't watch TV. I could not concentrate for more than a few seconds on anything. I tried to listen to audible books couldn't do that. But you know what I did? Rich, when I was in the hospital, brought me an adult coloring book and coloring pencils. I hadn't colored since I was a little girl. And even then, I'm not the greatest artist. Like, I didn't color in the lines very well. But I began to color. When I came home from the hospital because I couldn't do anything else, I would spend hours and hours and hours a day coloring, 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 and focusing on different color palettes and all this stuff. Seven months into my recovery, I'm talking to a psychologist, and I'm crying because I said, Dan, the weirdest thing is happening to me. At night when I'm up coloring for hours, I'm starting to have memories. And my memories are like when my first child was born. I'm in the hospital, and I remember what it felt like to give birth to Michael. Or I'm four years old, and I'm in the backyard, and I'm, I'm smelling the sheets on the clothesline. Or my mom is making homemade raviolis, which is my favorite thing, and my little Italian answer there. And when I was eight years old, they let me try some wine. You know, like, I, I'm having... So I'm sure I'm going to die, because the Lord's bringing my, my whole life before me. And so I'm sure my heart's just going to give out, and I'm going to die any time. Because when I came home from the hospital, I Googled everything that my medical chart said about my heart. And the Mayo Clinic told me that women my age with that condition have a very high mortality rate the first year. So when that started happening to me, I was sure I was going to die. So I'm crying, and he's like, 
Rose, you are not going to die. I think people pay big money for what's happening to you. They call it EMDR. I think your coloring for eight hours a day going back and forth to left brain, right brain is healing your brain. It's like healing the trauma that happened to your brain through that whole situation with the church and then your, your heart failure. So, I mean, it's, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing how God has put the very capacity for healing in our bodies? And we, we, are, we don't know. Okay, we probably need to move on. I think I'm going to have to. Okay, so here's what we need to do. We need to avoid negative talk about ourselves and about others. Now, when I say about others, I don't mean we should have no talk rules. I mean, there are things that happen that we have to discuss, and we have to talk about them in truth and with compassion and all of that. But when it's just negative gossip, continually negative, negative, negative about other people, that is not good for our hearts. It's not good for our brains. We, um, can we show the body-mind connection slide? Do you see that one? I just want to just for a moment tell you that... You probably, yeah, can you see that? This is, I just wanted to go over this for a moment because this fascinates me. In our automatic nervous system, we have two, two sort of trails that they go from our brain down. One is called the parasympathetic nervous system and one is called the sympathetic nervous system. Now, the sympathetic nervous system kicks in when we're under threat. Like I told you before, if I'm under threat, all of a sudden that nervous system kicks in and goes, hey, 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 you're in danger zone, danger zone. And it will start making, like forcing blood to different parts of our body that, that it thinks is under threat. And what will happen is like our pupils will dilate. Um, we have an increased heartbeat. Uh, our airways won't relax. Um, we inhibit activity in our stomach. Inhibit, like we, we get digestive problems. We get all kinds of physical problems going on where if the threat comes, like here would be an example. If I walked out into Marshall and Carly's front yard just visiting their home and I, in the distance I saw what I thought was a snake, but it's really a hose, but I thought it was a snake. Right away, I'm like afraid. My sympathetic nervous system kicks in and said, danger, danger, you better run for your life. You better get out of here. And then I go, oh, it's a hose. So my, para <laughs> my parasympathetic nerves go, okay, we're okay. You can calm down now. And it'll start reissuing the blood to different parts of our body, calm down. And sometimes we can actually speed that process up by doing some practices. So let's go to the next slide where it shows just what happens. Keep going. You can go to the next one. Yeah, if you can see that, the top one in red is what happens when we're under stress. And that's what was happening to my heart. It was always constantly jagged like this and under stress, under stress. My body's releasing hormones. I wasn't moving my body because a lot of times when we're under stress, like if back in the day, if you were being chased by a bear, even now, your, your nervous system is sending the blood to your legs to say, get out of here. And then it's depleting the rest of your organs and they're releasing all of these chemicals in your body. But if you're really not under stress, like having to run, if you don't do something to release that, those hormones out of your body, they turn to sludge in your system, which can cause heart attacks and strokes. Big lesson, you guys. When, you're, when you've been in an extremely stressful situation, even if it's just walking, you've got to move your body to get those chemicals out. So the bottom one is blue. That's 
what we want our hearts. That's our hearts at rest. That's our heart, even they're regulated, even if we have some stressful situations. So, and I just wanna talk about a few practices that we do. The number one practice when we get into that mode is breathing. Breathing will absolutely calm our nervous system down. And there's ways to breathe where you stop and you say, okay, I'm kind of stressed out right now. Like even sitting here during worship, my heart started racing. I was nervous. I don't know if I really am bringing the right, you know, all the stuff that goes on, my self-talk. So I was like, I need to breathe. Lord, I'm inviting you. Like breath of heaven, you live in me. Resurrection life, you live in me. Jesus, I'm asking your spirit, the resurrection life of your spirit, to right now help calm this down so I would breathe in. Resurrection life, breathing in. Hold it on count of four, deep breathing. Hold it. Then on the exhale on the count of eight, I'm letting all the stress out. I'm letting this worry out. Like, I do that all the time. I have learned now since my heart failure that when I start getting stressed out, the first thing I need to do is I've had to learn how to breathe because it will tell our brains like right away, the blue part of our brain, will it'll calm it down. Another thing, of course, is prayer. Of course, it's prayer. I think for me, contemplative prayer where I sit every morning and just be with the Lord with no petition, no intercession. I'm just here, Lord. Here I am. I just want to be with you. And something happens in those moments that is transformational for me to like calm my nervous system down for the rest of the day. You almost carry that with you. Another thing is to move your body. Again, it doesn't have to be strenuous exercise like having a gym in your house. It literally can be get up and walk, breathe. Another thing is when you're stressed out, you look out the window because the, the, other, the part that stresses you out, your pupils start to dilate. But if you look out the window and you look at the sunlight, it will calm that part of your body down. Like it's weird. Rich and I moved into a condo two years ago in Edmonds. And it was right in the middle of the uh, pandemic, July 2020. We were so stressed out. But we moved into a condo that has a view of the Olympic Mountains and Puget Sound. And I, say, I, I swear to you, it saved my mental health. Like that was such a gift of the Lord because every single day we get up and we look at this beautiful creation and it does something to your body. I think Rich was talking to Steve this morning or last night about them being at the water and realize like if you just sit on the beach and you watch the waves, when you're in God's creation and you're just in it, it calms your body down. So there, there, even as if you're not in the midst of beautiful creation you, and you're stressed out, you can just look out the window and get your body calmed down. Okay, sleep, we talked about how important sleep is. Meditation, super important. If you can get into a groove of meditating, even for a few minutes a day, it helps your brain heal. Eating, oh my God, eating, all right. Eating, here, here, when I'm gonna probably make some people mad right now, and I don't mean to, and I don't mean to offend you. And again, it's different for every person. But when I left the hospital, my cardiologist came in and had a conversation with me, and they give you this whole booklet on heart healthy eating. And what he said to me is do not do paleo, do not do keto, do not do any of the latest fad diets because it will be horrible for your heart. That's what he said to me. He's like, what you need to do is eat nutritional food and you can eat junk in moderation. 
Like everything in moderation is tolerable. So if you want to eat pasta once a week, eat it. If you, but you have to like eat in moderation, like cut down the salt, cut down the sugar, but you can, you can have ice cream once a week. You, you don't have to starve yourself. Because here's what happens when we go on these crazy diets. A, and some of you might have known this, you lose a ton of weight. And then a year later, you've gained double that weight back the minute you stop eating that way. And it's not good for your body. It's just not good. And so I hope I didn't offend you keto guys. I'm sorry. If it works for you, perfect. It, I was warned against it. So the other thing is, if you're struggling, reach out for help. There are therapists, there are spiritual directors, there's people in your own congregation that maybe have lived a little more life than you. Like, Ask for help when you're struggling. Get prayer. Get, get, yeah, get help for when things are not going so great. So let's just wind this down. What are the messages that you tell yourself? I want us to close our eyes for a moment. And I want us to get in touch with our bodies. We hold a lot of stress in our bodies. We hold, our bodies tell the story. If we were violated as children, we hold that. On a cellular level, we hold our stories of our life stories in our bodies. So I want you just to think, start with your head and start coming down to your neck, your shoulders, your back, your chest, your stomach. What do you feel in your body? What might your body be trying to tell you? Our bodies actually will tell us what we need if we learn to listen. They'll tell us when we're hungry. They'll tell us when we need help. They'll tell us when we need to move. What about your stomach, your waist, your legs, your feet, your toes? What do you feel in your body? What's it telling you? Some of you might have had this experience that travel or, or do things like, when Rich and I spent three weeks in Thailand, I mean, we walked the beach every day. We walked up hills. We walked upstairs, like, every single day. And when we got home, I would say for three weeks, I would wake up in the morning, and I knew my body was saying, you need to walk. You need to move. It was used to moving, and I just stopped. I ignored it. But our bodies will tell us if we listen. Father, I pray that today each one of us here would receive grace to believe the message that we are very good. We are created in your image, and you say it is good. It is very good. That you want to come and you bring healing. On a cellular level, I pray, Lord, come and bring healing to our stories that our bodies hold. I pray you would wash over everybody's brain right now, our brains, our thought processes, bringing them under the lordship of Christ that no vain imaginations would take hold.
but the truth of who we are in you. Not who others say we are, but who you say we are, Lord Jesus. So I say, come, Lord, bring healing. I take authority over the messages that have come from inner critics, from authority figures that have put something on us that is not true, and from the enemy that would love, love, love to keep us in condemnation when you say there is no longer now any condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Let that take root in our minds, in our hearts, and in our bodies. Let your spirit come, Lord. Wash over, wash over, wash away the negative thought processes. Bring healing in our bodies. Lord, you said we shall know the truth, and the truth will set us free.